Serverless has grown in popularity over the last five years, and the space of applications that can be built entirely with serverless has increased dramatically. This is due to two factors. The growing array of serverless tools, such as edge-located key value stores, and the rising number of companies with serverless offerings. One of those companies is Fastly, which originally gained adoption for its CDN solutions. Tyler McMullen is the CTO of Fastly, and he joins the show to talk through how Fastly looks at edge computing today, as well as serverless. This is Tyler's third appearance on the show. Tyler, welcome back to the show. Hey, Jeff. Thank you. We're talking today about serverless applications. Give me an overview of the typical architecture of a, quote, serverless application today. Yeah, no, I mean, there's there's lots of different architectures for, for serverless applications. But, you know, a typical one might look a lot like, actually fairly similar to what one would expect for like a typical, say, web application, right? Where you have the client side aspect of it, you have the serverless aspect of it, and that serverless application may be speaking to a wide variety of different like state stores, whether that's uh, like a GCS or like an S, uh, S3 of some kind, or you could be talking to like a typical relational database of sorts as well. But on the other hand, then you have totally different architectures where, say, serverless is actually being used for post-processing of things, for like batch processing, for instance. But really, like, in my opinion, like, this is, this is one of those things that, like, there, there isn't really a clear pattern at this point. Like, there's a wide variety of things out there. How has serverless matured in the last five years? Yeah, I would say over the past year, serverless, or the past five years, rather, Serverless has matured in a bunch of different ways and also not matured in a bunch of different ways as well. In, in some ways, it's kind of interesting. It, it's kind of both in, in, regarding the specific points. So like, for instance, programming language support, I think is a great example of this where, yeah, like, you know, it has matured in some ways. We have more options now than we used to. That said, it's also not matured nearly enough, in my opinion. You know, we one of the big advantages of using your own servers at this point is just the fact that you can choose your own languages, you can mix languages together, you can do all sorts of things that like serverless doesn't actually allow you to do at the moment, it can be kind of constraining, which is kind of kind of ironic, given that like, one of the main points of serverless is to be less constraining. But it has matured in a bunch of different ways as well. And I think a lot of the way this that it has matured has been like in, in the use cases of it, right? Like, in how people are actually able to use these things and how it's able to connect to various different services as well, right? Like previously, like it would have been hard to use serverless for things that were, you know, distinctly stateful five years ago. Now you have like lots of different options for databases. And uh, again, it's kind of, it's kind of all over the board with this one, in my opinion. But to me, what's actually more interesting are the ways that serverless is likely to mature in the next five years, right? And I, I would love to get into that. And I think that like, you know, our, our work on the WebAssembly ecosystem is going to play a big role in that. Tell me more about what Fastly's perspective on serverless and the tools Fastly has built over the last several years has been. Yeah, so our take on serverless has been that it's been a little bit too prescriptive, in my opinion. The the, the industry as a whole has, or uh, my take on serverless or our take on serverless rather, is that like kind of the the way that the industry has gone about this so far has been a little bit constraining, right? Our perspective is that like serverless should actually be a lower level platform. It should be a platform on which you are 
able to build whatever you really want to build, right? Rather than being so prescriptive in the way uh, that we are expecting it to go. Can you explain to me what Fastly's perspective on serverless has been over the last five years and the tools they've built? Yeah, I can definitely explain that. So our take on serverless is that, well, we have a bunch of takes on serverless, but my, my, like, my big thing is actually about like placement of serverless. It's about like where serverless applications can run and how they run. To us, the, the whole idea of you know, having to choose a specific location for your serverless function to run in is kind of like antithesis. It's kind of the antithesis of, of serverless because the whole point is that like you're supposed to be able to pretend, and let's all be honest, we're kind of pretending that there isn't a server involved, right? And here we have gone like, okay, you know, you have to choose a location, which means that you're running it in a specific place, which means that the data that it needs also needs to be nearby that as well. So our perspective on this is that serverless needs to get a lot more flexible with the way that you can choose to run things. And that, so a lot of like a lot of the work that we have actually done has been in order to make that possible, right? So if you look at like the, you know, the way that we've built out our like WebAssembly based serverless platform has been in a way to make it possible for these WebAssembly applications to run in a variety of different locations. And so like from our perspective, that, that means the edge, right? That means, you know, 55 different markets around the world um, able to run your application and able to run it in all of those locations simultaneously. But I think it actually goes beyond that, where like to me, in order to make it possible for serverless to not be like a constraining environment that you use for like tertiary parts of your applications, the whole thing needs to get a lot more flexible. It, it means that it's more than just about running it at the edge, in my opinion. It's also about like how you can run it at the origin, how you can run it even closer to the user's client, how you can run it in things like, you know, embedded inside of a database or embedded again inside of the client, right? Like this needs to be able uh, to me, like the whole point of like the, the whole power or the potential power of serverless is actually about being able to spread your application across all of these different locations, right? And the current technology that's being used to implement these serverless platforms just doesn't actually make that feasible, right? And so a lot of the work that we have done has been going into making uh, the technology underlying this much more flexible. If you look at our work on Lucid, you know, the, the big thing that we have trumpeted about it has been how much faster startup time can be, like the cold start time problem, right? And to me, it's so much, it's not actually about the cold start time, a lot of, the, uh, like a lot of the time. What it's actually about is like what the cold start time allows you to do. So on the one hand, it's actually about security, right? Cold start, like having very low or non-existent cold start time means that you can like individually isolate lots of tiny little things. It means that like you're not sharing, you know, isolates. It means you're not sharing sandboxes across requests and across different like contexts. But it's also about like where, again, it's possible to run these things. Running a container-based sort of serverless platform at the edge, I think just doesn't make any sense, right? It makes a lot more sense if you can run the whole thing and get it started in a very short amount of time. I think that's also going to open up like tons of different possibilities for different locations within the network as well. So these abstractions that you're providing, how do they compare to architectures or, or, or the, the, um, the abstractions that are offered by 
like AWS. Like I think of AWS as offering these more thick and well-defined abstractions. And I think Fastly is more more concerned with just enabling programmability at the edge and a lot of flexibility at the edge. Do you think that's an accurate depiction? So that's not exactly how I think of it. I think that the difference, in my opinion, is actually about like the prescriptiveness of it. Um, and the flexibility, again, that you have in in defining those abstractions, right? So like Fastly, our approach to it has been to work on the lower level abstractions for serverless, to be able to provide folks the ability to, to do a lot more because we provide, again, that lower level abstraction. However, like that's not actually the way that people like tend to program. That's not the way that a typical application is developed. And so the thing about like us providing that flexibility is that then we can define uh, much higher level and different abstractions on top of that, right? And so I think if you look at like, I, I think our, our, our Rust abstractions are probably the most well-defined at this point. But as we introduce more languages, we'll, we're going to see similar and also different abstractions built on top of that, again, because we have given that amount of flexibility in the system. And again, I think, you know, once again, this is just, in my opinion, coming back to like that flexibility, right? It means that if we can provide those lower level abstractions, we can actually make it possible to run similar serverless applications across a wide variety of different like platforms, be that Fastly platforms or also non-Fastly platforms for that matter as well. So to me, like, you know, those two things aren't actually like opposite to each other. It's just that like, you know, with the flexibility that we have like put into the system, it means that you can again define different and more uh, higher level abstractions, thicker abstractions as well, rather than being like beholden to exactly what like your your platform provider actually says that you can do. How aggressively are users adopting serverless technology? Like I, I know that the providers are building out all these tools and platforms for making serverless possible, but are users adopting it? Yeah, I mean, to me, it looks a lot like the early cloud days, right? Where you, you, we are somewhere along that curve. Like, I remember when like AWS and, and such first came out, and I, I was, I was obviously a software engineer back then, and I remember the the like internal battles <laughs> that were had about it inside various companies that I had worked at, where you know you had the the early adopter type engineers who were like, yeah, we should be using this immediately, and then you had the the older folks or like just the more conservative, uh, more conservative folks who are going like, well, let's, let's kind of wait and see. I'm not convinced yet. I think we're in that same position now. Like the adoption levels are definitely increasing and they're increasing rapidly, but there's definitely still resistance to it as well. And I think that it's kind of on us and on like on us as like serverless platform providers to be able to clear up those, uh, those concerns that folks have. Um, and again, like to me, this, this comes back to like, this again, comes back to like that whole flexibility question, right? Like if, if our, uh, if our platforms are not able to like address all of the different, um, the different concerns that users have, then like, well, you know, adoption is going to start to stall. Um, if we can't provide like languages that people actually are used to and want to use, well, serverless is going to stall. You know, if we, again, have like end up with like vendor lock-in problems, well, it's going to stall, right? So to me, we're at kind of a pivotal point in the like that curve of serverless adoption, right? Where if we if we do this wrong, well, you know, serverless is going to always be kind of a kind of a sideshow sort of thing. But if we do this right, well, serverless could become the dominant like way of doing computing on the internet. And that's definitely what we're trying to head towards. 
What other kinds of outcomes could lead to a stalled serverless environment? So, you know, there's been a lot of talk about this one lately. And the big points that I have seen, anyway, pointed out are, again, limited programming language support. We have vendor lock-in problems. We have performance issues, which I think everybody knows at this point. And just kind of like an inability to run entire applications on it, right? Where, again, this just ends up being a tertiary part of your actual application architecture rather than the thing on which you are actually, you know, building the whole thing. And, you know, there, there's lots of ways to address all of those different pieces. And I, I think it's actually really important that we do so. To me, probably the biggest one is actually like those, those first two, programming language support and vendor lock-in. If we can't provide the programming language support that, uh, that folks are looking for, then, you know, it's always going to be a thing where it's, you know, it's just for JavaScript developers or it's just for Rust developers, right? If you're, you know, using .NET as, you know, millions and millions of developers are, well, like, what are you going to use? You're going to be stuck with like the one platform that happens to support that. So to me, like vendor lock-in and programming language support actually kind of go hand in hand where, you know, you, you end up with either not being able to use it or only being able to use the one that, that you have been programming against. So that's why we've been putting so much effort into like the standards type approach to this problem. I think that we're at the point with serverless, it's big enough now where we're kind of beyond the experimental stage, right? We need to start agreeing as an industry on what exactly this thing is actually going to be when it grows up. So that's why we have put a lot of effort into the WebAssembly ecosystem. It's why we have put a ton of effort into WASI, the WebAssembly system interface, and why we have open sourced so much of what we have done. And, you know, we're working with a bunch of different, uh, a bunch of different folks in the industry to actually make that happen. Part of that is through the Bytecode Alliance. And then there are others that we're just working with directly as well. But yeah, I think if we can't solve, especially those two problems, it's never going to be the, it's never going to end up being the, the big thing that we all hope it will be. You know, it kind of reminds me of the like of the processor wars of the like 1980s, right? Like, are we going to go with x86? Are we going to go with various other different different processors out there? And we ended up like landing in, I think, a reasonable spot where like, you know, most people ended up on like an x86 type platform. And to me, like, you know, it kind of all points to the same thing, which is we need to be, you know, we effectively need to be competing over the feature set not over the like the base architecture of the system. We need to agree upon that one. Otherwise, we none of us grow. And so that, that's to me, I think the most important point. That's to me why I think it's like, it's so important for us to agree upon like the basic architecture of serverless and like what the interfaces actually start to look like. And I think if we can do that, like, you know, we have quite the potential here. Give me a little bit more context as to how the WebAssembly-based platform at Fastly has developed. Where are you? What can you do with WebAssembly and what can you not do? So WebAssembly as a whole is in, in my opinion, like a really good place at this point. There's not much that one would want to do with WebAssembly that you can't do. Um, to me, it's actually about the developer experience side of it. It's like, how easy can we actually make those things? People approach me all the time and ask about, well, like, you know, what, what, is, what are the use cases for this thing? Uh, and I can come up with a whole bunch of use cases, but to me, it's, it, 
it's kind of a funny question in the sense that like, you know, you're, you're asking me, what are the use cases of a computer essentially, right? Like it's so many, like there are so many different use cases. There are so like, it, it's hard for me to even place my finger on like the one like killer use case for it because it is again, such a like flexible platform. But yeah, so like to get back to your question, like what can and can't you do? You know, Fastly is is in limited availability with our platform right now. You know, we're in the we're in the in the process where we are building out some of these state related uh, pieces of our platform, so key value stores and databases and so on, right? And so th- those will definitely like make a big difference in what is possible with it. But even without those, uh, folks have found like just tremendous things that they're capable of doing with it. Be that like you know mobile offload or like uh, you know page uh, page assembly or GraphQL or like manifest manipulation for video processing. There's just so many different things that are possible to do with it, and you know the more features we add to it, the more is going to be possible to do with it. What does a key value store specifically built for uh, edge computing or for serverless look like? That's a really fun question. So like, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I've mentioned this a couple of times in the past, but like our version, uh, like our, our path down, uh, down the serverless rabbit hole actually started, you know, quite a few years ago. But like the, the, the initial thing that we were starting on when we were, when we, when we first ended up going down this path was not actually a serverless platform. It started with my desire to actually build out a global distributed data store. And then me realizing, well, in order for that to be useful, I guess I'm first going to have to build a platform for people to run, uh, to run like more advanced programs on to make that useful. But like over the last several years, I think that our view on this has actually gotten a lot more nuanced. So to me, like my initial view of this was, okay, cool. I'm going to build out like a, you know, a, a massively intelligent, globally distributed, eventually consistent, like strongly eventually consistent data store, right? Um, and that will solve everyone's problems. And, I, and to me, that, that that's just kind of a, in retrospect, that's kind of a silly view to have, right? Because it turns out that what people actually want a lot of the time is, is access to their own data. And the way that people access that data is not necessarily in a way that is like appropriate for eventually consistent applications. Um, it turns out that like the use cases kind of dictate what, what exactly is going to be uh, useful for this. So there are certainly some things where a, you know, a great key value store for an edge, uh, an edge based serverless platform is going to be an eventually consistent one, it's going to be one where, you know, you can make updates from across the world, and you have to kind of expect that they're not all going to be in sync all of the time. But our realization is that that's actually not nearly enough, right? And it's certainly possible at this point for you to say, like, make an HTTP request and, you know, send that request back to your own database that is in your own, like, data center somewhere else across the world. But doing that repeatedly from, say, you know, let's say your database is in Virginia and the request that we're processing is in, say, Melbourne, Australia, right? Doing uh, multiple database queries from across the world like that is just not going to be an efficient thing to do unless, of course we have that built into the platform itself, right? And so that is, I think, a lot of the direction that we're going is, you know, kind of a multi-pronged approach to this where we want to build out a key value store. We want to build out a state story that, like, that addresses all of these different types of use cases that folks have, where the ones where folks can actually do the updates 
and do the reads from the edge directly, you know, where those are supported and like, you know, and, and extremely fast for that matter as well, as well as being able to support the idea of being able to query your own data, being able to query strongly consistent data from the edge as well, and make that possible to be fast as well. So with all that being said, can you make queries at the edge strongly consistent? So my, my answer to that question is yes, it is totally possible. However, at first glance, it may not seem obvious how, right? Because I think if you try to do this in a way that sounds a lot like, that looks a lot like the way that we have typically done, that we have typically done querying of like strongly consistent databases from the edge, it's going to be unreasonably slow. It's not going to work well. However, I think that we have, because of our like flexible approach to this whole serverless problem, we actually have some options that may not be obvious and may not be available to others as well. So from my perspective, this really comes down to the concept of like, how, how do you break up a program to make it run most efficiently, right? So if you think about the network as this big interconnected thing, but you may, you may actually think about the network in this case as, as rather like, you know, a line with a bunch of different stops on it, going from your origin, like the most central location in your architecture out to the client that's actually talking to you. And at that, on that line, at each of those stops, there is different data available, right? So to me, the whole thing with serverless and the whole thing with making something like this feasible actually comes down to where does your program run? And that answer to that shouldn't actually be one location on that line. It should actually be most of the locations on that line. And so I know I'm, I'm speaking very like, you know, philosophically about this, but essentially like our answer to this question is going to come down to like, how do you break up this program to make it feasible for you to query and use the types of data you need all the way across the network? So for instance, you know, if you have a program that does a lot of things that are stateless and then does a few things that need to like actually talk to the da database directly, those probably shouldn't run in the same place, right? And so our plan with this, our goal for this is actually to figure out ways to like build patterns into our architecture to help users to spread their application across multiple locations like this. And I know that's like, that's a really vague, like, you know, big idea, like, you know, large brain sort of like approach the, guess, sorry, excuse me, galaxy brain sort of approach to, uh, to answering this question. But I think this is the direction it's actually going to need to go. My big problem with the way that serverless works today is, again, it comes back to that like location question. We shouldn't have to specify a location. This should actually happen automatically if we can figure out a way to do it. And, you know, I'm looking forward to like figuring out the answers to those and figuring out the ways to do that over the you know coming years. And so tell me more about what kinds of applications want state management at the edge, like is it only used for caching or am I using this for like my app actual application data? Oh yeah. So again, there's like, there's just a wide variety of different types of applications for this. So yeah, I mean, part of it is caching for sure. Part of it is like partial caching, being able to cache certain parts of pages, for instance, and not other parts of them, certain parts of APIs and not other parts of them. But you can also use it for application level data as well. Like, you know, if we go back to like the earliest, uh, 
like dynamo papers from Amazon, right? Like those are a great example of like how you build, like that was all kind of based around the whole concept of a shopping cart, right? Like how do you build a shopping cart out in a like eventually consistent manner? And to me, like when you see eventually consistent manner, what, what you're actually saying there is how could I do this at the edge, right? And so building, you know, being able to build out say a shopping cart or something like that is totally feasible at the edge as well. But there are other like, I think, weirder applications of it as well. So for instance, you know, one of, one of the ideas that has come up a lot recently for us is actually mobile offload. And so, you know, I guess for, for those who may not be like aware of that one, um, the whole idea is, well, you know, a lot of us walk around with, you know, you know basically mini super, excuse me, mini supercomputers in our pockets called iPhones and, you know, powerful Android devices. But most of the world doesn't, Right. And so if we're building out applications that require like a massive amount of computation on these devices, you're, you're kind of cutting off a large swath of like of the world from using it. And so mobile offload is our is, is an approach to solving that problem where, you know, if you're uh, if the device that a computation is trying to run on isn't powerful enough or it doesn't have access to the things that it needs, you can actually take that computation and push it out to the edge instead and run it there and feed the information back. So the way this ties into state is, I think, interesting because, you know, if you are having to pass the entire state of the application back and forth every time that you do one of those computations, you know, it's not going to be nearly as efficient as if you said, okay, hey, here is the state and I would like you to run multiple different computations on it over time. And so being able to hold application state at the edge as well for like mobile offload, I think is like going to end up being one of the bigger use cases as well. What kinds of programming languages are you using to build this infrastructure at the edge, like to, to build serverless functionality and to build database functionality at the edge? Yeah, so Fastly has kind of landed mostly on Rust and, and some Go at this point, to like answer your question directly. And the reason that we chose Rust in particular really comes down to two things, and it's like performance and security, performance and safety even. You know, Rust gets us, you know, close to or just as good as or in some cases, like better than the performance that we had previously gotten when writing C for our server applications, but so much safer. It also allows us like a lot more flexibility in like the the ways that we build applications. That means that, you know, we can hire engineers who can make, you know, reasonable abstractions rather than uh, having to work in like the lowest levels of languages. So yeah, Rust is my primary answer to that question. I, and I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased with that choice. You know, I was kind of pushed into that choice a number of years ago. I didn't think it was ready at the time, but, you know, listen to the engineers in your team. They probably know what they're talking about. And I'm really glad that we made that choice. I think that it has definitely borne fruit and in terms of like being able to build on and like continue iterating on the applications that we build or rather the platforms that we build at the edge safely, right? And what are some of the big engineering struggles you've had in building out that serverless functionality? So I think the most interesting, well, you know, we've had all sorts of challenges and, you know, opportunities and, and wins and losses here. But to me, probably the most interesting one relates to fairness. Fairness and like what I actually described as, what I actually describe as scheduling, right? When you have like such a wide variety of different types of applications running on a platform where you have some that, you know, may be done in like under a millisecond and you have others that take 200 milliseconds to run. 
we're talking like multiple orders of magnitude variation in the types of workloads that are running on top of this thing. And to me, one of the one of the trickiest problems, and one of the things that I think we you know we spent a lot of time on trying to like you know nail it down really well, is how you maintain fairness and like uh, and as close to real time nature in a system like that. Um, and it turns out that there is just you know tremendous amounts of like academic research into this area, how you run heterogeneous workloads across systems like this. I think we've come up with some interesting approaches and uh, some of that's going to end up being open source as part of Lucid and Wasm time now as well. But to me, that's, that's really the trickiest thing when, when building out a platform like this is how do you handle like so many different users with so many different needs and so many different uh, types of applications. It, it's particularly tricky. And of course, there's also, there's also the, you know, all the things that typically go into building out a system like this, which is, you know, maintaining safety as well as maintaining performance across the whole thing as well. Right. And so, you know, we, we put a ton of effort <laughs> into this stuff. That's, that's where most of our effort goes. I would say it's like making this stuff completely bulletproof. And I think we're getting there. We've, we've done a pretty good job of this. How do you expect to see serverless evolving over the next five years? So this is going to end up going back to, you know, the things we were talking about, about like how to prevent stalling in the serverless like universe. Because I think honestly, that if we don't address those things, well, we're, we're kind of just going to end up being stuck if the industry as a whole doesn't address those problems. So I'm going to, I'm going to go back to those again and say like, look, in the next five years, we've got to see, you know, much wider programming language support for one thing, like, to me, if we if we have to keep talking <laughs> about the programming language support five years from now, we have we have uh, lost the game, right? The industry as a whole has lost the server game. If we're still talking about like how we can support more programming languages five years from now, so that's one thing that has got to that has got to be fixed. That's one thing that we definitely have to see evolve. Uh, I think that like that goes hand in hand with vendor lock in, right? If every vendor is supporting different sets of languages, well, you know there's always going to be vendor lock-in of some sort. And again, like this also comes down to the interfaces, the APIs that are available within there. We need to agree on these things. I think the other thing that we're going to see is is like addressing the performance problems, right? I think that's going to be a big change because those who have good performance, those who don't make your users wait, you know, 20 seconds for cold start time startup, you like, they're going to win. Like if we can do that well, we're going to win. And so, like, that's one thing that I think is going to have to evolve, right? Um, it's going to evolve along because that's what users actually care about. Uh, they care about, again, like going back, like programming language support, they care about vendor lock-in, they care about performance. And I think the other thing that's going to change is, you know, we as an industry are going to push more and more features out there as well. Like there's, you know, serverless is still in some ways kind of a low-level environment. You're still kind of like, wiring things together yourself when you actually start to develop applications, especially if you're trying to develop large applications at the edge or not even at the edge on just serverless in general, you're kind of like, you know, okay, picking and choosing Well, here, I need to use this, this component and that component. And how do I, you know, break up my application? So it's multiple functions. Like I think that the big evolution there is going to look like improved user experience for this whole thing. I think that those like three things are going to end up being like the big evolutionary changes over the next five years is like programming language and vendor lock-in. 
as well as performance improvements. And I think like the user experience side of this as well. That's definitely like what we're heading toward at the very least. You know, that's, that's something I say to our engineers on a regular basis is that like, you know, you have to imagine how, how engineers are actually going to use this thing, right? Like how, like, how do we make this feel natural? How do we make this feel as if like you're running this on your own laptop as opposed to running it, you know, across the entire world simultaneously? It's all going to have to come down to user experience. How is vendor lock-in avoidable for serverless platforms? So I think the answer to this is going to have to come down to standards, right? We're, we're putting a ton of effort into this already. We have like, you know, cross-company, cross like cross-industry support. Uh, lots of people working together on things like WASI, for instance. But standards by themselves don't actually solve the problem entirely. Like standards need adoption for it to actually matter, right? Like you actually have to go out and talk to everyone and get everyone behind it, right? I think that's a lesson the computing industry has learned uh, pretty hard over the last like 40 years. There are lots of standards out there that just, you know, no one actually supports, no one actually uses them. And, and I think that's kind of the fault of like the, the folks who implemented those standards, right? You know, you can't just say like, oh, this is the standard, right? You have to actually go out and talk to people and convince them that this is the right way to do it and listen to their concerns, right? And so if you look at the way that, for instance, like the WASI standard is evolving over time, it's taking time, right? It, you know, we, we've been talking about this for a couple of years now, and there's a decent amount of support, but like the reason it has to go slowly is because we need folks to actually support it. We need people to be behind it for it to actually matter. Um, and I think that's that's a lesson that like you know uh, a lot of the folks who are working on it have learned over the years. But yeah, I think I think that's the answer, right? It's got to be standards, and it's got to be like widespread industry support of those standards. And I think that folks are now like you know kind of seeing that that is going to be necessary. Like those base level APIs, those interfaces that we provide. Like that's not the thing to compete over. That's not the thing that users like are going to want to, the users are actually going to want us to be competing over, right? To me, this is one of those like, you know, a rising tide raises all ships sort of questions where if we can create the baseline for users to work off of, for us all to work off of, then great, we can go compete. Uh, we can go compete over the features, over the like the actual like tangible things that users are using to put together their applications. But again, that like that like that base layer infrastructure, that's not the place to compete, right? So I think standards are going to play a role in this, and just industry collaboration is going to play a role in this. And to me, it's totally feasible. It's just a matter of getting folks going in the same direction. All right, Tyler. Well, anything else you want to discuss or explore around serverless? I think I'm good for today. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thanks a lot. I appreciate being here.